The world didn't need another hockey podcast. It needed a better one. Bear witness to the two-man forecheck. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Mike. We are just a couple of days away from the new year and the new season, which is a really, really strange thing to be saying, but it's 2020. I should be getting used to that. Yeah, well, we're halfway through uh, a silly season of, of uh, I mean, almost, um, almost done with a silly year, I guess you could say. Uh, I will prob- I don't think any of us will ever be done with this year, but at some point it will actually be over. Then we have yet another year to look forward to and more silliness, I suppose. I, I, I must say it was a nice Christmas gift to, to actually have the NHL finally decide to, hey, let's work with the players and let's get a season going instead of continuing the the bickering back and forth over escrows. And I'm hoping I haven't seen details as far as what money is going into escrow and how much more of a hit the players had to take. But it's just nice that to know that in hmm, slightly over two weeks, we're actually going to have uh, legitimate NHL hockey games. Not not going to say they're good because I don't know how much prep time they've you know they've been off since the summer and and some teams even longer and training camps half aren't starting team, for <laughs> half of the league has not played since last March. It's going to be nearly ten months, uh, actually almost exactly ten months because March thirteenth I think was the last day uh, most of us in the U.S. were in like our offices. Um, who haven't been back since. Um, And I think the cancel, I think the season ended about the same time. Uh, So yeah, 10 months of no hockey. I mean, it's got to be great for all of the nagging little injuries and even for some of the big injuries. But as far as like coordination between line mates who don't necessarily live close to each other or timing, I think that like the first 10 games of the season are may well look like a, a training camp. <laughs> Not denying that. I, I just, and, and 10 games, that's 20% of the season. Like, Oh yeah. Cause it's, it's going to be what a 50, 56 game season. Yeah. So yeah, 10 games, 20% of the season and you're mocking about cause you still haven't got your sea legs under you. Uh, you could see some teams taking there, a hit. There are legitimately going to be teams who at Groundhog Day will be out of the playoffs and just skating for the additional 12 weeks. It's it's mind boggling, but it, it, it's true. We have a 14 week season. Mm-hmm. For the most part, teams are going to be playing almost every other day. Uh, across that time, there's not going to be a lot of time for practices. There's no bye weeks. There's no all-star break. Uh, there's not even really a holiday break. Um, th- th- you're going to have training camp. You're going to have the flight, or you're going to have the flights and transportation back to wherever, and that's that's your coaching time this year. That's your get 
get your head right, get your mind right uh, time. And if you don't produce, you're going to be on the taxi squad in three games. Like this is going to be either the best or worst possible season for a rookie to break into the NHL, whether they're a drafted last summer rookie or three years uh, into their three years after their draft. If your team is a basement dweller, um, it might well be great because there's no pressure. No one, if you're on the Anaheim ducks this season and you're fresh out of college or juniors or the LA Kings or half a dozen other teams, Jersey devils. Yeah. 56 games. Great. Go out there, play, have fun. Uh, you're cheaper than finding a veteran replacement for you. But for a competitive team, a team like a team that genuinely expects to compete. Yeah. You're not going to give you that nine game, that nine game audition this year. I don't know that you're. Yeah, I, I don't know that you're actually going to get to see what any of the rookies are fully capable of. You're playing the same teams over and over again. You're not going to be playing anybody outside of your division. Uh, you yeah, call it? your temporary division until playoff time. So yeah, okay. Hey, this guy's great against the Flyers, you know. But the minute he steps foot on the ice against. Uh, Vegas. Oh wait, he's getting blown by, or you know, I don't know. It's just uh, it's going to be tough evaluating the players. I, I mean, be, we looked at last season and basically said we need to put an asterisk on this, particularly the pretend offs. I, I think that we can just about put a double asterisk on this year, regardless of what happens. Um, between the ten months off, the curtailed schedule so you're only facing six or seven or you're only facing your division um i this is going to be the 2021 season could actually be stranger than last year is that possible yeah i mean when was the last time nhl teams played anyone nine times in the regular season the last time we did away with making sure that they played every single team because it used to be that you played your your rivals or your in division yeah. like eight times a year so but I don't remember when that so stopped. So we're still talking like late 90s early 2000s certainly before the lock uh, before that all that fully lost 2005 season yeah, it has been it has been a while since they played one team that many times in the in the in the course of a season. Personally, I think it's going to be great for rebuilding rivalries, uh, even if it is just the one year. Um, it's not in a lot of cases. It's not going to be their traditional rivalries. You know, it's, we're not going to get to see Boston, Montreal, Boston, Toronto. Um, although the Battle of Alberta should be awesome to behold. Um, <laughs> it's going to open up some it, it, I mean it's going to create some new rivals I mean with Canada playing themselves over the course of 56 games you're going to see some interesting rivalries between uh, you know Montreal and, and 
Vancouver or something like that. It, it, but yeah, I would like to see a return to that many games when you're playing your arch rivals, Boston, Montreal, clearly best rivalry, one of the longest running, running rivalries in sports. Uh, yeah, we all know Boston and, and the Rangers have a rivalry. I get that. but And even Boston, Tampa. And as much as I like, as much as I have loved watching the Boston um, Columbus rivalry in the last two or three years, it's Enjoyable. not at the same level. Enjoyable, but yeah, the intensity, and it is difficult to compare any rivalry games to a Boston Montreal. When you hit that, when when you have a Boston Montreal game, the 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 level that it it, it ascends to is just over the top. I mean, I don't even know if it's been the same in the last few years, but I know growing up and through my teens and whatnot. Watching a Boston-Montreal game was just a treat. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And you could hate the other team. I mean, legitimately hate because of how many times you saw them. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, is it didn't matter whether your team was awful or the other and the other team was great. Whether both teams were awful, everyone cared about that game. There was no such thing as missing a Bruins-Canadians game. It just didn't exist. Uh, agreed. <laughs> I mean, let's let's just for a minute or two look at the four divisions for the season and talk. I think we I think we can probably agree uh, on what the best rivalries in the West division for the year are going to be, um, but. I'm curious your take on both the North and the East. Well, the North being all Cal- all Canada. Correct. I mean, it, it you you almost want to automatically give it to Calgary Edmonton, but you've got that three way dance between Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto, and Montreal is right between the two of them in quality, a little bit closer to Toronto, um, has the best coach of the three. And I think that this is the type of season where the best coach is going to make the biggest difference. Um, just like in the playoffs, I think that Claude Julian is probably going to end up with Montreal, a healthy Montreal finishing higher than a lot of people expect. Is Winnipeg the odd team out in that in that division as far as having a heated rival? Yeah, I Uh, mean, yes. I mean, they've had warm games against the other teams, but they've only been there, you know, eight ten years at this point. Um, It's not like there's people whose great grandparents have been coming to games for. 70 years hating the sight of the other logo. Okay. I mean, in the West, by default, it has to be San Jose, Vegas. Uh, I think there's a, I think there's a built in rivalry there. Only the, I mean, the fact that Peter DeBoer coached San Jose and now is with Vegas. I think that, 
well, is like a that's like a jumping off point. But yeah, there's some there's some uh, warm uh, warm blood between the two. I, I, I'm not it's not terribly bad, but yeah, you've got Evander Kane, you've got Ryan Reeves, uh, so you've got the you got the physical aspects of. Uh, and don't forget who Vegas beat up to advance in a couple of those playoff series. They had they had their fun with San Jose, yeah. Um, and you know, there's not much more embarrassing than getting beat by a first year franchise in the playoffs. I mean, you have the built in California teams. You got Anaheim, LA, and then yes, you got San Jose as well. And well, applying the name to the division does make me somewhat dizzy. Uh huh. The Central Division, which includes teams as far <laughs> east as Tampa and as far west as Chicago. Okay. Um, I mean, if we were going back 25 years, we could easily say that it was the Chicago-Detroit uh, uh, rivalry that was going to lead this division or be the uh, powder keg. That, as far as this, as far as this division, that that almost has to be the number one rivalry, only because of length of time. You're talking two original six teams. But I mean, are one neither of those teams is anywhere near their peak right now, and because they've been in different conferences for, for a, a decade, long, yeah. Detroit um, being back in the East and Chicago still being in the Pacific or West or whatever you want to call it these days. So, yeah, they haven't seen as much of each other, but. I mean, and I mean, it, it you could actually maybe, maybe, maybe say that Columbus Detroit could be the strongest rivalry in this one because both of them were in the West uh, before the alignment a few years, realignment a few years ago, uh, about a decade ago, and then both moved into the East um, and have I mean, at least played each other but i don't i don't know that there's actually an active rivalry here no i mean as far as east versus west the the closest i think you'd come is is like an and i don't even think there's a rivalry there would be in like a nashville chicago they're both western they're both western conference uh i mean if you went way back and we're talking early to mid 90s you could say maybe Dallas, Detroit, but I mean that's dead, 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 dead. The built-in Florida rivalry. Oh yeah, that's how could I overlook? No, just no. <laughs> <laughs> because Tampa and Florida have been arch rivals for so long. And the sad thing about that is you can actually drive between those two cities in like two hours. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I mean. That's closer than Boston, New York. And yet you probably got more of a, you probably have more of a rivalry between Tampa Bay and Carolina than you do between Tampa Bay and Florida. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, Carolina and Tampa Bay won cups within a year or two of each other at one point. Um, again, probably before 80 percent of the players on the rosters were born. Um, but they did it. There's nothing else there. 
what will be the, what will be there for rivalries in four months or five months? That's going to be fascinating to see. Uh, but I mean, after Tampa Bay, actually, they were after, Tam- after Tampa Bay. Who are your top three teams in this division? Uh, <laughs> I, I didn't do that on purpose, but Columbus, it Dallas, almost, it almost works. Tampa Bay would have to be your top team, I would think. By and it, and it won't even be close. If there's if there's any less than twelve points between them and second place by the end of the year, something went very wrong in Tampa. I mean, if you go just based on recent past history, you'd almost have to say Dallas by making it to the making. And yes, they put the the, the two Stanley Cup finalists in the same division here. Ooh, maybe they're trying to create some kind of rivalry there. I don't know. But would you have to say Dallas be, based on the be second and then there would be a competition between, say, Columbus and Nashville for third? I would say Columbus and Carolina. I don't think Nashville is going to hang all that well with uh, with Columbus and Carolina um, and yeah, Tampa Bay on a regular basis. Not as currently constituted and they've. They've taken a little bit of a hit over the last couple of seasons. Uh, I mean, I think this division is possibly going to have the biggest split in average points between the top half of the division and the bottom half of the division. Like, if you at the end of the year, if we add up the points for the top four teams, the bottom four teams, divide by four, uh, I think that yeah, you're going to see a huge, a bigger gap here than in uh, the other divisions. Uh, that said, I think that when you take, <laughs> I think that the West Division could have the biggest split between number one and number and the bottom. Uh, I think Vegas is just probably going to run away with this division. St. Louis will do their best to keep up. Colorado is probably it's actually like Vegas at one, and then a competition between St. Louis and Colorado for two, and then everybody else. Vegas, Colorado, and everyone else. You don't think so, you don't think St. Louis is even going to be uh, fighting for a top two spot? I want to see what their goaltending does this year. Bennington, yeah, after his remarkable freshman campaign, not as fabulous in his sophomore season. And again, with a short season and coaches who know that they're going to play this guy six or seven more times, the book will be handed out and just short of pushed through the retinas uh, of every player uh, on the team. The best shot, the worst shot, and every guy in between. Um, the thing is, all of this discussion, and with the exception of the fact that the the Devils and, I'd almost say it, the Devils and the Penguins, are, the fact that they're in the East, but I think the East is going to be the most competitive division. It probably is. I mean, the Devils are not going to be good, and I think everyone knows it except for possibly Devils fans. <laughs> I don't know that Buffalo is going to be great. I don't. I think that there'll be somewhat. There will be a pad between them and New Jersey at the bottom. But I, 
Yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying that they're going to suddenly be contending for top spot. They probably, if if the pattern falls the same, they'll probably be in first place at the end of January and in like sixth place middle of February. So <laughs> that that's probably true. Uh, but I think that the, I mean between you got Boston, the Islanders, the Rangers, and the Rangers are improved. I'm not saying that they're going to be, but. Boston, the Islanders, Philly is good. Washington is Washington. Washington could be badly hurt. I, I don't know that they, I, they're they're another team whose goaltending is probably going to let them down. Well, not having Lundqvist is going to hurt because they're going to have to rely more on on Samsonov than they originally anticipated. Would be my guess. There's going to be more. And with an ever with a playoff like schedule for 14 weeks before you get to actual playoffs, you're going to need to put uh, your starter on the bench at least once a week. And then you're looking at Phoenix Copley. Uh, not the not the worst backup goaltender in the world, but he's not. Uh, He's not he's at the level of the a, yeah. He's not at the level of a one A one B like Boston has, or or even I'm trying to think of other tandems where the where the the backup is just as good, or if not better than the starter. Ooh, did I say that about Boston? I'm starting already, and we haven't even started the season yet. Puck hasn't even dropped. Training camp hasn't even officially <laughs> opened, and you're already pointing out the truth how dare you i like being prepared <laughs> i've got to get your reps in early so that uh when the season comes you can nail it uh each time yes and i think we just after me saying that the east was going to be most competitive i think we just broke it down and made it not the most competitive at which one is is it is it the canada division i is there I, I, I think you'd almost have to rank it, rank the divisions by coaches. But even there, I don't think the, I think the coaches are spread out. I mean, you've got Julian is probably one or no worse than the third best coach in the league in Montreal. You've got Tortorella in uh, Columbus, and. Uh, why uh, Barry Trotz? Uh, I believe he's still in New York. He's with the Islanders, yeah. I mean, we—it's easier to point at teams that we expect not to be good um, than it is to point at teams and say they're going to dominate, uh, or at least they have a chance to compete. What about because guys like in Travis? In this format, in this format, really, it, it's going to come down to matchups. I think it's going to come down to coaches and matchups as much as the actual roster. What about guys like Travis Green in Vancouver, though? I mean, Travis Green has done a great job and he's got a very young, hungry team Um, with 10 months off for those guys, particularly if he's been in decent in, in communication with any of them. Those guys come into shape and they're still excited from their playoff run. Wait, wait, wait. Did Vancouver have 10 months off? I thought they were in the pretend-offs. Well, they, they were in the pretend-offs, but... Um, they eliminated early. Uh, well, they I made thought. it two ra- They made it at least two rounds. Um, oh, that's not early. Okay. 
So even June to January is still six months off. That's a long time when you're 22. Um, they come in healthy. And, and that team is young and good. That team is young and fast and skilled, and they should be confident. Even though they lost their last game and their last series, they should be confident. They come in, and they're on roughly the same page. They they could start the season. Like, they could end the month of January, like, 8-0-1. Mm-hmm. And that's gonna that's gonna have them at the top of the division at the end of the at the end of the month. Uh, quick, uh, quick little cleanup here. When you said the Tampa Bay Carolina won them close together, they were actually back to back champions. Two thousand four with the Lightning, two thousand six with the Hurricanes. With uh, the in 05, in 05, the season was canceled. Correct. So they were back to backs. Uh, as far as as far as Vancouver, oh yeah, it, it, you look at the list of, of players that they have, and you got you start with Quinn, Quinn Hughes. Yep. And then you, you've got guys like Patterson and Brock Besser, and young goaltending with Thatcher Demko, who showed us what he's capable of. Yeah, I, I I think that they become I don't I don't want to say a favorite, but they're certainly a team to they're certainly a team that's worth watching and potentially uh, making another deep run. Uh, they still got, got J T Miller, who had a fabulous season last year before the pause, and he's only twenty seven. Mm-hmm. And how would you like to have him for five and a quarter million? By the way, oh yeah. Uh, that, <laughs> that's a pretty price tag. Yeah. Jake Rattanen, Adam Gaudet, who played here at Northeastern, <sighs> Bo Horvat, uh, the defense is, I mean, and to acquire a guy like Nate Schmidt for what was it? Third round pick next year. Yeah, it was, it, <laughs> it was literally grand larceny. Um, and I'm still staggered by that trade. You 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 pay a guy like Braden Holpe 4.3 million for a couple of years to come and 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 sit in front of Thatcher Demko, or you play them as a one A one B and you you know three three out of five to one, two out of five to the other. You know this it, Travis Green's got a lot to have fun with this season. And you got guys like Jet Wu sitting in the minors. Yes. <laughs> so we are, let's see, we've got a decent amount of ground to cover for the show today. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start with the fact that uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to be without uh, Nikita Kucherov all year. Officially out, uh, he's going to be having hip surgery. Um, and will not make it back uh, at any point in the season. Um, the only sort of kind of good news out of that is it takes uh, it's gives them some more salary cap flexibility with some of their other signings. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they did get a couple more players, including Sergachev and Sorelli, uh, uh, rather, under contract recently. Um, that being said, even with his money, aren't they still over the cap? They're still over the cap. They're one of ten teams over the cap a week before, uh, about a week before all camps are open, which literally has to be a record for the NA- for NHL history. I would not be surprised if we see more trades in the next week than we did uh, than we have ever seen this close to the start of a year. We may even see a couple of buyouts. Um, well, and buyouts yeah. and buyouts of players that really in any other year would not be. I, I find it interesting that Toronto has decided to jump all over Tampa Bay's grave, uh, figuratively speaking here. Oh, yes. Uh, with that the, story fa- with the fan-sided beautiful. story that says Kucherov injury makes Toronto Maple Leafs the team to beat. Hold on. Who's reporting this? Oh, it's the Toronto fan-sided <laughs> page. And, and well, they should because, I mean, the facts clearly support that, don't they? I mean, the Vegas odds makers have absolutely declared uh, have absolutely declared that, haven't they? Uh, oh, wait, sure. no, no, they haven't. Uh, oh, okay. Um, Vegas odds makers, uh, and this is say. as of two days ago. Ve- I'm guessing Vegas is top of the list. Vegas is actually not top of the list. Whoa. Um, my pick, or one of my other picks from the West uh, late last year is actually number one, but only, only by a uh, small fraction over the Vegas Golden Knights. Colorado? So Colorado Avalanche are at plus 750 to win. Uh, that's 15 to two odds. Tampa Bay Lightning plus 800 or eight to one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vegas Golden Knights plus 900. Um, that's fascinating. They have two different. Vegas Insider has two different numbers in their in their article. Um, I think they managed to reverse it in the table. Okay. Um, but seven eight hundred to one nine hundred to one, not a huge difference. But then you get a big gap, and I'm surprised by the number four team. Um, I think that they're basing part of it on the idea that healthy goaltending will do much, much, much. Um, and that's the Boston Bruins at 1,400 to 1, or at plus 1,400 or 14 to 1. So wait, Tampa Bay is the favorite to win it all again. No, 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 Colorado is the favorite to win it. They are no one. Okay, I, that's what I was saying. When you said a Western team, I'm like, Colorado? So you got yep. Colorado is number one, Tampa Bay two, Vegas three. Well, Vegas. There's some confusion between Vegas and Tampa, but okay. either way, they're 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 all all three are close together. And then there's the huge gap between Boston uh, before you get to Boston, and then in order, all 100 apart, it's Boston, Philly, Toronto, um, and then you get some team. Then you have another jump, and the Blues and Capitals are both listed at plus 1900 or 19 to one. Okay. Uh, Carolina Hurricanes getting a lot of respect at twenty to one. Um, 
I'm surprised the Bruins are so high. I mean, after having lost Tory Krug for one thing. Well, Tory I mean, Krug, no, no Sedato Chara, um, no replacement really for Krug on the on the uh, left side, or for Chara for that matter, because he's still not signed. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, as I said, I think they're going. I think this is based on on goaltending, but it would have um, to be. I mean, based on on what the tandem here in Boston has done. I could see them elevating because they have it's consistent. They haven't changed anybody out in that position. They're going to have to clearly in the next season or two. But your biggest signing was Craig Smith, and you you Ooh. still get you still get thrown up in the fourth uh, you know fourth best team or, or the team with the fourth best chance of winning the Stanley Cup. It's so I, your. Your your buddies in Detroit have uh, have some pretty decent odds to win the Stanley Cup this year. Really, thirty thousand to one, or plus thirty thousand at three hundred to one. Three hundred to one. Wow. Okay. So go place a fifty dollar bet if somehow they manage to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, you can uh, put a nice down payment on a house. Seriously. Seriously, I don't think it's going to happen. I mean, if, if they'll do some kind of prop bet where, you know, saying they make the, you know, just making the playoffs maybe is three or five hundred to one shot. You you know, put down ten twenty dollar bet. Sure, why not? I mean, it's not going to not going to break you, but the chances of it happening are fairly slim. But that, if you're if you're gonna say that about Detroit, they're not the only bad. T- I mean, what what are the New Jersey Devils getting for odds? <laughs> they're at only uh, sixty to one. Wait a minute, is Detroit the worst? Detroit is the worst. Okay. Ottawa Senators are <laughs> next worst at uh, one hundred and seventy-five to one. Wow. Yeah. Uh, apparently they don't think that, uh, Iserman has worked his magic quite yet. He's been there a year and a half. <laughs> Your point? My point is it took a little bit longer than that to turn around Tampa Bay. Um, so do we really, really think that the Toronto Maple Leafs who memory says are, Oh, look, one of those teams over the cap. <laughs> oh, yes. Are they one of the 10? They're in the gang of 10 here? They are in the gang of 10. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and they're they're about sixth on uh, one, two, three. Yeah, they're sixth on the list as far as because the top team being the Lightning, obviously. Uh, over the cap. I mean, Montreal is just barely over the cap. They're at 81.8. And I, the cap is what? 81.5. So they're only a few hundred thousand. So, okay, you drop a player, you know. You Put someone in the taxi squad for a couple of days and. No, they still, they've still got to fill one more roster spot. They're at 22 out of 23. The kicker here is that the Capitals are third on the list. 83.3. So one point something, one, one almost two mil over, and they've only got twenty out of twenty three spots filled. Hmm. 
Yeah, they're they're going to have issues. <laughs> and oh, by the way, our friends at Cap Friendly have decided to aid us in our wait for the beginning of the season with their lovely start of the 2021 NHL season official countdown. 17 days, 7 hours, 40 minutes. <laughs> yes, I, I, I absolutely needed that. Now, you noticed, I noticed um, Cam Neely uh, did some talking the other day. Cam Neely did some, oh, okay. Cam Neely doesn't talk a lot. No, and he remarkably says even less. Um, but one of the interesting little tidbits buried in the article, uh, really buried in the article, is that they're talking about, at some point, having fans in the building. Ooh. <sighs> like having fans in the Boston Garden. I haven't seen I haven't seen any closed door sports with fans in building. I mean, right now we still got the NFL season going, although it's just about to wind down and start their playoffs. But they've got open door stadiums and some of the stadiums are actually allowing limited capacity, 10, 15 percent. Yes. But I have not seen that happen in any closed door stadiums as of yet. That's true, and I think that as we as uh, vaccinations accelerate, that's going to change. Um, or it doesn't make any sense to be putting people or to be rolling out all the vaccinations if we're going to act like they don't exist. Um, So I'm not I certainly don't expect it to be happening in February, in January or February, but April, the last week of the regular season, maybe in the playoffs, we get to 25, 35, 40 percent capacity. 40 percent. Wow, that'd be that'd be something I haven't even seen 40 percent in the open door stadiums. But, yeah, as you said, the with the vaccine and if they roll it out and if it if it's as successful as the government and whoever are hoping that it is, the, the, the populace is you know, hoping that it is, it is a possibility. I mean, he in the in the article here where it says hoping to have a full stadium, uh, he's mentioning May, June, July. Mm-hmm. Are we going to get fans in the building at some point in January? I'm not sure. February, it's out of our control. But we have made plans for no fans, a third of fans, half fan. Okay, so they've got plans in place for when they actually have people in the building. That ought to be. I, I mean, I look forward to the day when we do start getting full houses again. I mean, Rivalries just aren't the same without the fans in the stands giving it to the other team. I mean, it's one thing for me to be sitting on my couch at home yelling at the TV. They can't hear me. <laughs> and this. and re- realistically, a place like the Boston Garden or any of the stadiums in Montreal, Toronto, New York, where you're close enough for your rival fan base to get in the building in numbers and the fans can try and drown each other out. 
there's not much like it. Uh, I remember it was the cup year mm-hmm. Bruins and Philadelphia. Um, in the playoffs, I don't think I've ever been any place louder than that building was that night. Well, I had that. That it was also like had three, do, I think, or that also uh, the excitement of that also had to do also uh, came from the fact that. They had was it the year before that they were up it was, three games to none. It was three, like the year before, yeah. Three games to none, three three to nothing, and ended up losing not only that game but then the next three games. And so yeah. for them to come back and and beat Philly, and I believe it was a sweep. Oh, it was a sweep. It, it was a brutal sweep. I, so I mean, them, yeah, the way after, they manhandled after the the previous year. That's. Uh, that definitely played into the fan reaction. But <laughs> even for me, a guy who really doesn't like crowds that much mm-hmm. to get abs- And I was absolutely carried away by the experience. Um, it's something that you will remember forever. This is, we're now talking 10 years ago. Um, I, I will remember that. The rest of my life. Same way I remember the beginning, the very beginning of that season, you know, the fans chanting at Washington, you can't finish as Thomas is Thomasing in that and just making <laughs> this everybody no look bad. There's no real other way to describe it. You could maybe say Thomas was being uh, being Hashik in that. That'd be the closest comparison. <laughs> But Thomas was doing Thomas things. <laughs> um, or, or even even when even when uh, the Bruins travel and or any of the bigger teams travel, uh, even Pittsburgh fans travel pretty well, um, and they were successful enough, long enough over a couple of decades between the Mario era. And the uh, Crosby Malkin era, that they they have a lot of fans outside the Greater Pittsburgh area. Yeah. So when they show up and they're having a decent game, Pittsburgh fans are loud. Uh, so you get you hear home teams get drowned out by teams that travel well. Uh, it doesn't happen all the time, but it's certainly engaging. And so one of the other things, one of the other things that they bring up in this article, and we've been talking about it since, well, pretty much since the Bruins were eliminated, is Chara going to resign with the Bruins uh, now that they have a schedule? Because that's what we've been saying all along. That's what the word has been: is that he's been in a wait and see mode. Well, Cam Cam didn't have the answer as of yet, but do you think that he now signs? Do you think that he wants to play? I think he I think he will probably sign somewhere uh, because we don't. It doesn't look like there's going to be a bubble. It's just going to be well, players and coaches on their own recognizance. Um, and I know that he didn't want to be away from his family for that long. 
I mean, 14 weeks minimum away from your family, assuming you don't get hurt, uh, is that's a long time. That's a really long time. Okay, but if you you're right about the travel, I get that he doesn't want to be. But in terms of the best fit for meeting that criterion is for him to stay in the east. And looking at it graphically, and, and I'm just doing this off the top of my head, but geographically, the farthest you're going to go away from Boston is Washington. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's the Buffalo, furthest south. I, don't, I, I think that's the furthest team away from I mean, geographically. Those eight te- these eight teams are all in a five-hour drive from each other yeah i mean it's it's closer to nine hours boston to buffalo okay um and i know i'm exaggerating depending on time of day yeah you can i mean i think you can make dc from boston in seven or eight hours but as far as like the whole new york new jersey philly teams uh, please uh you can you can almost jog between them so I don't see him going – if he doesn't sign in Boston but still wants to play, and, yeah, I know he, does, he is a family man. We've seen, the, we, we've seen it. Uh, he's talked about it. But in terms of if he does want to play, the best place for him to stay is in the east. The, yeah. The north, you're seriously traveling three time zones. You're going coast to coast. The West, there's really the only West, two teams that have a shot, a legit shot at winning. The West, you're coming as far east as Minnesota. Um, and I mean, the West clearly has the worst travel uh, because you're going from uh, is in terms of stuff like climate, because you've got the two desert teams in Carol in Arizona and uh, Vegas. Mm hmm. You've got Minnesota, which right through April is going to be cold and snowy. You think? Um, <laughs> just a hunch. I mean, the, the <clears throat> central division is also be? a hot mess because Chicago is again going to be bad weather right through April. Um, same with Detroit. Uh, you get twisters in in the Dallas area, mm-hmm. uh, thunderstorms. Uh, all throughout Tampa and Florida all year round. Nashville, you have the potential for twisters plus RV bombs. Um, and then you're coming as far, you're still coming as far. That division, the more I look at it, the more it makes my head hurt. Yeah. I mean, like, in the East, you've got the say you've got, in the East, you've got roughly the same weather. You got, I mean, you got the same weather patterns, almost the same weather systems in some cases. You yeah, know, in you, most cases. you could legitimately have all eight teams covered by one storm. Yes. I mean, could you imagine? Can you imagine? And I don't know. They, I'm, they might even have it scheduled this year. But can you imagine a home and home series with Minnesota and Arizona? Uh, that would be <laughs> that would be unfun. I mean, the Bruins are opening with a home and home series with the Devils. Yes, where but it's New Jersey. I mean, again, we're talking what a, a three hours down ninety five. <laughs> yeah, the game will take almost as long. Uh, the game will take almost as long as the commute back and forth. 
I, I, I think just from a standpoint of travel and wear and tear on the body, the, the Stanley Cup champion, the next one, is going to come out of the East. They're going to be the most rested, the, the, the least beat up. Yeah. Uh, and I, I say it jokingly, but there's actually a bit of seriousness in there because wear and tear on the road is a real thing. I mean, the more you got to travel, they talk about making the East, the, the trip from East to West and, and how much more difficult it is to come from the West to the East. I mean, that Eastern conference, that, that Eastern division is, Again, like I said, you, you're driving the farthest one is, like you said, Buffalo or maybe Washington. You, you hop on a train and you're going to, from Boston to New Jersey. You're going from New York to New York. I mean, uh, Philly, Philly and Pittsburgh are in the middle there in, in Pennsylvania. It, playing hockey in a phone booth? What? <laughs> I mean, you can you could vary depending on your tolerance for the bus ride. You could book one hotel and go to New Jersey to see New York and Philly and Philly uh, and your Philly games without having to move hotels. They're they're that close. Not saying it's a great ride, but most most people in the Boston area, any of the major cities have a commute that long anyways. Now, um, yes. There was other stuff we were going to look at. Uh, World Juniors. I have gotten a chance to watch a couple of the games this year. I know you and I have watched some games in the past. And I have the same love and same hate for this tournament that that I've had for years. I love getting to see some of the best young talents in the world. I hate the fact that the games are normally over by the 25-minute mark. Yeah, as you were saying to me pre-show, the 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 U.S. against Austria was over in the first period or early well, second. It was over early in the second, and full credit to Austria's goalie. Like full credit, if someone at worst in the NHL doesn't throw a draft pick at him uh, this year or next year or a couple of camp invites, uh, clear failure. Because after the after the first period, he was he stopped getting support or useful support uh, in front of the crease um, and da- in the low slot. Before that, he was stellar. All right, I didn't see the game, so I'm gonna throw names at you. You tell me which one it was. Um, Jakob Brandner. No. Leonard Summer. No. Sebastian Renishitz, W-R-A-N. All three goalies are 2021 draft eligible. It may be Renishitz. That sounds correct. My memory for names is not the best. But he he legitimately, he played a really, really effective game. Um, There were a couple of goals that, uh, I said it, I tweeted it last night while I was watching the game. There are guys with multiple Vesnas, multiple Stanley Cups, who wouldn't have stopped at least three of those first seven, eight goals. Um, 
and you're not going to convince me otherwise, just literally watch the game over. Um, one or two more defensive breakdowns. Um, but it was a shooting gallery. He faced over 20 shots in the first period. Um, is like you talk about the ice being tilted. I think that Wolf finished the game for the U S facing six shots. Wow. Six <laughs> shots over, over 60 minutes. Okay. Um, <clears throat> the, did they, could, could they have just played the entire game with six, six skaters and no goaltender and still won? Realistically, yes, because and I think they still would have won because Austria just was not as good at getting the puck out of their zone. Um, And once their better defenders wore down by like the seven, eight minute mark of the second period, it was over. It was over. Wow. Um, and I, I legitimately felt bad for a goaltender turning in a strong performance. Um, I was tweeting with uh, Scotty Hockey uh, last night, and we were talking. I've said this before. I would love to see a tournament that had a hard cap on the number of drafted players um, in it at this level. Like your team can have one or two drafted players and that's it. Show us the rest of the talent. It's like the Olympics. I, as great as it is to see the NHL and KHL uh, players competing for their countries against the best in the world, yada, yada, yada. I would love to see the best of the USHL and college hockey and the Canadian Hockey League, no drafted players, no professionals um, going at it against similar players from around the world. I think you're going to get pure hockey that does more for the grassroots level of the game. You're going to get those scrappy uh, stories like... Uh, the U.S. winning in um, 1980. Um, Lake and Placid. It's Lake Placid. I mean, it might be it might be Germany. That's the team that comes out of nowhere and obliterates Russia, beats Sweden, and then goes on to face Finland in the in the gold medal game. Or 19, 1980, Lake Placid was the last time that the U.S sent all college players to the Olympics. The the Olympics after that, that's when they started with dream teams and, and sending NHL players, sending professionals. 1980 was the last time that it was all college, non-professional players. I would love it to go back. Uh, that's the original. And, and the thing is, and I didn't, don't want to get off on a, on, a, on a rant here, but the original thing with the Olympics is that it's supposed to be non-professional athletes yes the trouble is that other uh, other countries started sending players that were professional uh, you know it started with the basketball and everything 
because in certain sports they couldn't compete with the Americans like basketball. So they started sending professionals, closing the gap. So America said, you know what? You're going to send professionals. So are we. They sent the dream team with Jordan and Bird and everybody else. And then we got to see professionals versus professionals. But we already know what that looks like. I liked seeing the college kids go over there and then, you know, they got the wide eyes and, and they're playing for their country. They're, there's a, a different feeling about it. Yeah, it's and honestly, even though I never would turn these most of these sports on uh, during the during the average year, I probably probably enjoy the diving, the swimming and like the running events at the Olympics or the uh, world tournaments more than I do the team sports, uh, the regular team sports, including hockey, because I think that there's an element of when you get to the Olympics Mm-hmm. Most of these players have played each other so many times, they kind of know how it's going to end. I mean, by the time you're six, seven years into your NHL career or your KHL career, you're 27, 28 years old, you have played Ivan Holinkas and World Juniors and World Championships against everyone from Sweden and everyone from the U.S. and everyone from Canada um, enough times that... <clears throat> There's no mystery. There just isn't. Okay. But you take a bunch of 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds who maybe seen the other team's best players once, twice at most. And you give them that believability. Yeah. Anything's possible. Literally anything's possible. Uh, I, I mean, when, when was the last time an Olympic event spawned a cool runnings like Cinderella story or the Lake Placid like story? It's been decades. Yeah. I want that. I think it's good for the Olympics. I think it's good for the international community. I think it's good for the sports. I mean, let's face it. If we're, if the, if Europe and the U S are sending their pro level athletes to play basketball and baseball and hockey. What are Japan and Korea's chances in those, in those games? (laughs) I mean, Uh, not very good. good. Uh, How about, how about China and um, how about China and India and Australia? Still not good. Yeah, still not. I mean, China and India are so big that if they do decent scouting, they're going to get reasonable teams almost by default, simply because there are so many people there. But it's still not going to be the same. And you know what? I, I want to see Uganda put a hockey team in there that goes toe-to-toe with Sweden or Finland or Norway and comes out on top one game, just just one game. They can lose every other game in the tournament, but 
go home with a win at the Olympic level for a team like Uganda or Kenya in, in ice hockey. It would be so good for the sport. On a, on a global level. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we could legitimately see major league level hockey throughout Africa or South America 20 years from now, if they go back to a purely amateur format uh, for the major sports. Yeah. I, I, hockey needs to find and, and hockey itself needs to find a way to grow the game. Even or, or maybe you can't maybe you can never go back to a fully amateur game. Why not? I, I would lo- I would prefer it. I would greatly prefer it. But maybe you go back to maybe you go back to uh, maybe you move on to a format where it's you can have 40 percent professionals on your roster. Yeah, no, I'd so, like to see. I'd like to see. I'd like to see a higher percentage of non-professionals in international tournaments such as the Olympics. I would like to see more non-professional. You know, get the college kids in there, get the USHL kids in there. Uh, yeah, and I don't even know if I count if USHL should count as professional or not. No, I don't think so because they haven't. No, most of them are high school age kids. Some of them are attending high school in in the cities that they play in. Okay, there you go. Then yeah, not professional. Although are they? I guess the question the big question of professional to not professional is whether they're getting paid for it. So. Are they getting paid more than a mall job? Is probably a better barometer. Uh, barometer. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, you know, if they're if they're making. 150,000 a year. Yeah, they're professionals. If they're making $35,000 stipend, no. Just no. You can't call that professional given the risk to body, the travel, the whatever. Yeah, I would I would be inclined to agree. It, that said, there was still some really good hockey the last couple of days. Um This kid, but, this kid Wait a minute. This kid paid 73 shots. I didn't. In case you haven't figured it out by now, I I did not see the game. I Christmas has been uh, uh, eventful. Yeah, uh, I did not see the game, and I, just looking up the information, apparently he did get injured in the third period. It looked to me like, and this is unofficial. It looked to me like a hip injury uh, when he went down, but he had faced well over sixty shots at that point. I don't know the exact count. Um, it was Renishitz who started the, uh, I, I, and I, I apologize if I'm butchering his name, but it, it says he made fine save on, on Trevor Zagris. Um, then he got fooled by a Turcotte centering pass, uh, multiple posts and goals. And, and, but yeah, from the sound of it, this kid faced a, a, a he was, he was at, he was at the business end of a shooting range. Wow. Yeah, and baptism, baptism of fire. Wait a minute. Sebastian Ranisets had a baptism of fire in his world junior debut with 58 stops. Suffering from cramps, the 18-year-old goalie was relieved by Jakob Brandner with 10 and a, with 
just over 10 minutes remaining in the game. So, mm-hmm. yeah, 58, 50, I mean, how many goals they scored? He had to stop 58 shots. <laughs> there are NHL goaltenders who play their entire career and never see 58 shots in a game, not make 58 saves, but never see 58 shots in a single game. And he did it in like 40, 48 minutes. No, no, no. 41 minutes. No, no. <laughs> or 51 minutes. My apologies, because 10, 48, 11, uh, 60 minus 11. Yeah, 49 minutes. Holy cow. Okay. I, I, I have a much uh, clearer picture of what this guy went through <laughs> or this young adult went through. Yeah, he and I, I, I will keep saying it. He looked good. Um, forget the statistical breakdown in this case. And I think it's usually the case at at the World Junior. The goalie numbers are tend to be a lie. OK. Well, it's terrible when it says that his goals against average is twelve point two. That one that that one is a team stat, but yes, well, that's what I'm saying. The, his save percentage was still slight was was just around ninety, maybe eighty nine or something like that. Yeah, it was. He had allowed when, like seven eight goals, and it was still around eight seventy five, uh, eight eighty. <laughs> Damn. Okay, I do feel bad for him. The last time I saw a goalie get pounded like that in an in a amateur tournament or non-professional tournament, whatever you want to call this, uh, was before Vasilevsky appeared for Tampa Bay. It, it might have even been a World Juniors, and he was in net for Russia, and he got he was getting pounded fifty some odd shots, making save after save. I remember that game, and honestly. <laughs> Austria looked better in front of him in the first 20 minutes, 25 minutes than Russia looked in front of Vasilevsky. Yeah, they pretty much had him. They pretty much had abandoned Vasilevsky uh, from like pretty much puck drop. <laughs> wow. But yes, I as much as I enjoy the late stages of these of this tournament where you get the top six, seven nations mm-hmm. playing against each other and the games are going to be competitive no matter what. Yeah. The preliminaries of this tournament are terrible. Well, I mean, the results, when you scan the results, you look at them and you see, okay, 11, nothing USA over Austria, Canada beat Germany 16 to two, yep. 16 to two. Yep. Sweden beat Czechoslovakia seven to one. Yep. And then you get into the other game. Slo- and seven Slovakia. to one isn't even a big margin by World Junior standards. Yeah, but eleven nothing and sixteen to two are just ridiculous. They're obscene. But then you get the others that are actually more competitive. So Slovakia against Switzerland ended up one nothing for the Slovaks. Five three Finland over Germany, five three Russia over the U.S. 
And honestly, had Spencer Knight had a reasonable game for him instead of looking awful, that that game would have uh, that that game would have had a different a different outcome. Because I've I've seen a good I've probably seen two dozen or more games for Knight. I've literally never seen him look that bad. Well, from what I from what I read, he was he was pulled when Russia was up four to one. Uh, he if didn't not, look good at any point in the game. They brought in they brought in Wolf, and I mean, technically Wolf won his portion of the game because it was it was two to one for the U.S. <laughs> so and then I Wolf had the that game. I mean, six six goal six shot shutout in last night's game. Six whole shots. Wow. That's, yeah. I, and yeah. Uh, to make the Germany-Canada game even more lopsided, Germany was missing nine players, including their starting goaltender. Nine players, including their starting goaltender. They had a, essentially half a roster. Um. And I, I I don't know. I the number of drafted players on the US, Canada, um Finland, uh it, it, it takes it it takes it out of the realm of a competitive tournament. And I don't know that it actually does much as much for the development of those players, the Zegrises and uh such as it as people are hoping it for it to do. Okay. Wait, wait, wait. I have to take umbrance with what you're telling me. Six shots on net. Uh, according to the IAHF webpage, he faced a total of 10 shots. Oh, I, I apologize. <laughs> I, I must have lost count in the last four or five minutes. First period, he faced three. Second period, he faced two. <laughs> and in the third period, obviously, he faced five. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah. It, it was not an even game. It was not even a the true definition of a night off. <laughs> it, you know, he I mean, only and realistically, only like two of those shots were quality. Um, I yes, don't think they that leave out that part. They don't say. <laughs> I don't think we're going to see any of those Austrian uh, forwards in the NHL at any point. But I would actually consider, as a if I were on a scouting staff or a general manager, uh, taking a look at Austria's goaltender and a couple of their better defensemen. Um, even if they never make the NHL, they're going to fill out an AHL roster pretty nicely. Um, and eventually take that experience, uh, back to the program. Wow. Yeah, that's, I'm sorry. Yeah. Wow. They need, it is tough to watch when the, when a team just jumps out that far ahead and it becomes, Oh, and they were scoring almost every minute for minute and change, uh, after like the third minute of, or fourth minute of the second period, uh, they they scored like 
three goals in three minutes and 30 seconds. And then they added like two more fairly quickly. It was, I mean, your boy Renishet's there faced, he faced 30 shots in the second period alone. Yes. Yes. 30, 30. There are teams in the NHL that don't have 30 shots on an, in a full game. There are teams in the NHL that don't average 30 shots a game over a season. And he faced it in one period. Well, you know, and, and, and the ramp up to that is in the first period. He faced, oh, 21. <laughs> yes. Oh, no, I'm sorry. 22. He allowed one goal. So 22 shots in the first period. 22. Then 30 in the second. Yep. And then, oh, just for good measure, I'm, I don't know when he actually, you know, how many were left when he finally came out of the game. But then the U.S. had 21 shots in the third period, you know. Oh, 30 shots in the second period. Oh, my goodness. The guy was getting pummeled. <laughs> um, moving back to the NHL, uh, Derek Stepan has uh, found a new jersey to wear for next season. He doesn't have the he doesn't have the the peyote coyote anymore. No peyote coyote, uh, although it's probably packed. He's probably packed one away uh, for his. So. They uh, need to bring that one back for his trophy wall and uh, his career history. Uh, he is going to be an upstanding uh, senator uh, in the upcoming season. Was there like a play on words kind of there going on? He's going to be an upstanding senator. No idea what you're talking about. Oh, okay, just checking. Traded to the senators. Uh, and if I remember correctly, there was no player going back the other way. This was strictly, uh, I w- would have this to was say, a salary, dump. a salary dump. Yeah. But they got a second round pick for him. They got I mean, a se- yes. I'm not if I'm if I'm Arizona, I'm not complaining about that. No. Um. They. I mean, Arizona, this is this is still a hockey trade uh, in a lot of ways. I, I mean, we just called it a salary dump, but it's still a hockey trade. One, Arizona gets under the cap, and Arizona having to work to get under the cap is still a concept that uh, many people are having to adjust I, to. I'm still adjusting to that. Are you kidding? <laughs> um, they get a – they pick up a second-round pick, and let's face it, Stepan has not – done well uh did not do well in his time in 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 the desert um (laughs) they get under the cap they get younger um not that they're a particularly old team i mean at forward they average just over 25 uh years of age um and that second round pick for from ottawa pretty certain it's going to be one of the first five or six picks uh, this year. Or actually, it looks like they picked up Columbus's, they got Columbus's second round pick from uh, from Edmonton. But even still, that's going to be a middle a mid-range pick, most likely. And they don't have a first round pick this year uh, in 2021. And they don't have a third round pick. So this this was a necessary system maintenance trade uh, for for the Oats. 
at the other end, Ottawa come pick- trade deadline, if Derek Stepan plays well, mm-hmm. the, it is the last year of his contract. Yeah. In the last year of his contract, they can sign him if he wants to stay. They can trade him, and at the deadline where prices are higher, they probably still get a second-round pick for him. So they will essentially have had his services for free, and if they manage to trade for trade his rights to someone who finishes lower than Columbus, they'll have profited two or three places in the draft order. He getting traded to uh, getting traded to Ottawa. He becomes the third oldest forward on the team, yep. behind Anisimov and Dadnov. Yep. He also becomes the highest paid. No, excuse me, second highest paid skater on the team. Thomas Shabbat makes eight million. Thomas Shabbat's number is eight million per. And then Stepan at six point five. They are still six million dollars under the cap. Yeah. Acquiring a six and a half million dollar contract. Yeah. <laughs> so Ottawa is clearly, I mean, and again, like you said, it's a hockey trade. Stepan still gives them the option of ha- he, he's still a second, third line center. And he's a he's a really solid three zone two way player. He's he wasn't really particularly healthy the last two seasons. Uh, I mean, he played. Well, he played all 70 games last year and 72 of 82 the year before, but he never looked right. I mean, he went from 82 or 56 points in 82 games his first year in Arizona, uh, which was right in line with his previous year in New York, Mm -hmm. down to 35 points in 1819 and then down to 28 points in 1920. If he can rebound and get over 40 points in the 56 games this year, he's he's getting he's probably going to get another contract at the same level he's at. He's not going to have to take a pay cut or, or an official pay cut. We don't know what the escrow is going to work out to, depending on what revenue looks like this year. But as far as pure salary number, he might not have to take a pay cut for his 31 to 35 year contract. And I agree about I agree about the trade I agree about the trade deadline moves. But even if they were to hang on to him through the end of the season, I mean, is Ottawa a borderline playoff team? Could they squeak in? I don't know. If you're going four teams from each, if you're going four teams from each division, I I mean, unfortunately, you're in the East, so you got to deal with Boston. You got to deal with Philly, the Islanders. They're it's all Canada this year. Oh, that's uh, right. That's Canada. Canada oh, what am I thinking? Yes, Canada. So you I don't it. know what DJ Smith looks like as a head coach in this sort of format. Montreal, and Vancouver. Yes, really. Vancouver. Yes, Calgary. Yes. Everybody else is playing for the last two spots in, in the Canada division. I see. I don't even remember off the top of my head what the playoffs are going to look like this year. I thought they said it was four teams from each. Four teams from each division play their own eliminate. Like 
eventually they're going to get down to a quote-unquote champion from each division is the way I understood it, unless they so changed it. We're we're talking more of a throwback to like 80s playoffs than where you, yeah, where you had to legitimately play your way out of your division. Not no uh, no wild card spots. Right. That that spanned conference. You had to you had to be the winner of your division to go into the final, you know, the semifinals and the finals. Last four team, last four teams standing, duke it out, and then two teams from there. The only thing is that they don't have two conference unless they're going to stay with a an East conference, an Eastern conference, and a Western conference. But how do you do that if you've got a North? Who knows? It might be north and central. It might, and then west and east. <laughs> I suspect, uh, but we have to get that far first. But my so, my point is, if they are even even if they are a even a a, a a bubble play, you know, could they scrape their way in? Stepan has 106 playoff games under his belt. He's a half point per game player in the playoffs. He's got 106 games, 54 points. So, I mean, not a good, not a bad guy to have in the locker room with that kind of experience. No, and if if the Senators make it in and they have a young team, aggressive team, who's got a good amount of skill, um, and a a, a single hot streak, may actually be enough to get you into the top four in your division this year. Um, that's they're they're playing with house money if they make it into the playoffs. I mean, looking at the Canada division, it's Montreal. Well, it's Toronto, and after that, uh, you can say it's probably Vancouver and probably Montreal, and that Edmonton has a really really good chance, and that you really can't eliminate easily anyone other than Ottawa, <laughs> anyone other than Ottawa in, in Canada. But even, even there, it's still, it's still squishy. It really is going to come down to I think which coaches, which coaches get, get inside the heads of their opponents, which teams stay healthy and mm-hmm. who has a couple of hot streaks. And that's all it's going to take. Like one 10 game winning streak. That may well put you into the playoffs. Even if you play 480 hockey, the other 54 or 44 games. Not much of a history on DJ Smith there. Uh, the only nope. other thing they list on the only other thing they list on cap Brunley is that he was an assistant coach for the Maple Leafs yep. from 15 to 19. I mean, he's a fairly young head coach, too, at 43. This is true. Slightly, uh, I'm trying to think, Travis Green, uh, about the same age, maybe a couple years difference. Yeah, although Travis Green's been behind the bench for like three years at this point. Oh, yeah, no, no, I'm not. I'm just saying. Um, DJ Smith also did win a championship uh, as head coach of the Oshawa Generals uh, in the 14-15 season. Okay, so he's got he's got some OHL minor 
And that was with yeah, that was with three years as an Oshawa Generals uh, head coach, and okay. five or six, uh, and about six years as an assistant. Um, let's see, anyone interesting on that? He did have a couple of interesting players on that championship team. Um, Anthony Sorelli, who I think we may have mentioned at one point in this in this show. Um, Actually, didn't not he, much he's, else. He's resigned, but yeah, Travis Green is fifty, and you're right; he's been behind the bench in Vancouver for three years now. Uh, are we trending towards younger head coaches in the NHL? Do you know? For a few years. Um, I mean, the belief has been for, or, or the belief was, or the prevailing belief was for a couple of years that, yeah, just grab the, grab a really good major junior or college coach because the players are so much younger and that'll work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure that's true because there are differences. It's. I don't think that pure skill carries you as far in the NHL as it does in the dub or or uh, the USHL. Being the best player on the ice in Hockey East is awesome. It doesn't necessarily translate to being a superstar in the NHL or even playing the same type of game in the NHL. Yeah. I mean, even even a Jeff Blaschel up in Detroit, he's only 47. Yep. And, oh, by the way, how does a guy who had, like, the worst team in the NHL get a two-year extension? Uh, Got to have – you have to convince someone that things are getting better. I, I, I'm not going to question Steve Eiserman yet. He hasn't been there long enough to, to actually say what the hell are you doing. And that being said, I don't know. And I thought it was good to let Blaschel kind of play out his string. And, and then Eiserman could get his own guys when he got there. But he turned around and gave him an extension for this year and for this season and next. Actually, no, I'm sorry. It was last year. So this is his last year of his contract. Huh. The 2020-2021 season. This is the last year of Blaschel's contract. So it could still be curtains for Jeff at the end of the year. It depends on – I'm sure it depends on how they perform. But For whatever reason, I thought that uh, Ralph Kruger had been moved on from in Buffalo, no. but no. No, he's still coaching up there. Giving him one more year, huh? Uh, they got rid of they got rid of uh, they got rid of the GM there. I forget his name. Um, yes, I could see his face. Blaschel, being, was it Blaschel? No, that doesn't no, sound right. Blaschel's the. It was. It began with a B. Why can't I remember? Oh, wait a minute. I have it on my list, except that I crossed it out. Da da da. Jason Botterill. Botterill. They replaced him with, uh, yeah, you get another name that I don't know how much, Adams, Kevin Adams. Yes. I will close by saying that Cheka is still available. 
<laughs> I, I, do, with, see, I don't, do with that information what you will. <laughs> I, I don't think that we're going to see a general manager fired before <laughs> the halfway point of the season. Um, if for no other reason than the expansion draft uh, this offseason, I don't think they want whoever is let go. Mm-hmm. Ending up on the staff of uh, of Seattle or wherever else, and yeah, I can I can see them looking, you know, and what what's going to be available, what's going to be ready. I, it it's going to be fun times once we get another team in the NHL. And yes, you're right, uh, people. It's going to be four, the top four teams in each division making the playoffs. <sighs> Uh, and then playing their way out. I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be fascinating. Um, I think by next week, uh, or certainly by the first week of the season, the two of us will have to sit down and put together our top four for each division. Um, But I think I want to wait and see what trades and moves are made uh, to get the 10 count them 10 NHL teams cap compliant before the season starts. Anything else we have on the boards? There is one thing that we have not touched on yet, and I don't know how much time you want to give it, but uh, there's a little thing up here that says um, Anaheim Ducks mailbag. Oh, correct, correct, correct. Um, and I know that you mentioned it to me pre-show, so. Yeah, uh, I was looking to see what sort of reactions there were to um, certain young men playing over in uh, playing up in Edmonton right now uh, in Anaheim, uh, and came across the Ducks mailbag. Um. Among the interesting questions there are where it will get retire a, a duck. And the answer is the marvelous weaseling because it says <laughs> probably, but he might leave for a year and then come back and retire a duck. He's going to be one of the, uh, Going to be one of those years in a team uh, with a two-year gap in the middle. Well, Marlowe's gone back to the to the uh, Sharks. Yes. So I don't think it's a situation of you can never go back, but I don't know. Does does leaving like that kind of tarnish? The the career. If you say that no. I played all my career with one team and I was loyal to that team, and granted, now was he around when they won their Stanley Cup? Was he a rookie when they won their Stanley Cup? I think he was. So if he has one Stanley Cup victory under his belt, and you play your whole career with one team, does that give you some kind of leg up? as opposed to leaving for a season or two and then coming back to retire. I think at this point it makes less of a difference now that there are 30 odd teams than it did when there were 
12, 18. Um, which may or may not be, well, Getzlaff, yeah, Getzlaff would have been in the league because they last won in 07 and Getzlaff is part of the golden draft in 03. Okay. Um, so that 06, 07 season was his second year in the league. Um, the first year with the uh, Ducks logo versus the la- his first year in the season or in the league still being the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. Oh, yeah. The whole movie thing. Yeah. I, I, clearly, from a money standpoint, yes, he is. His contract hurts the team. And I yes. understand that the, if they could move him away, it would free up some money. If they could move him, get a draft pick or two back, and then have him come back and close out his career, that's the ultimate winning scenario for the Ducks, regardless of where they go in the standings. Like, Uh if they can move him this year and get second-round pick, third-round pick, or maybe pick up a young defenseman for him um, to help fill out that roster— because, uh, I mean, he's played 1,053 NHL games in that jersey. So he's hit every milestone that you can expect a very healthy player to hit. 1,000 games, he's got uh, 965 points. If he stays, he'll cross. He should easily hit 35 points this year. Or if he comes back for another year, hit 35 points in that year. He's got the cup. He's got. He's almost a point-per-game player in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, his name, his jersey is going in the in the in the rafters, no matter what. Well, as um, this, yeah, as this Ciara Durant puts it, Ryan Getzlaff is the Anaheim Ducks. <laughs> there's there's just not. You can make as many arguments for Ryan Getzlaff not ending up in the Anaheim rafters as you can for Patrice Bergeron not ending up in the Boston rafters. Um, and I think fans in both cities will look at you like you're crazy for making even one. Yeah. But I, I mean, the one thing is that all the all the talking heads or, or, or the pundits that and I, Ben Tomasi and Garrett Brown, Brad Senecal and Ciara Durant, all four of them say that, yes, he'll retire as a duck. But all four of them also say that he's going to leave. Which or is it makes or it makes sense for him to leave. Yeah. And, and I I. I guess I have to agree. It makes sense for him to go from a from a cap standpoint. Yep. I just I always wondered if it hurt. Like, did it hurt Ray Bort to go somewhere else and win a Stanley Cup? I don't think it did. Still a Hall of Famer, and if you disagree with that, well, how much hockey have you watched? <laughs> uh, still a Hall of Famer, regardless of whether he played, you know two seasons in a different Jersey. I didn't have a problem with it at the time. I wasn't happy because I was mad at, I was mad at Jeremy Jacobs and company at the time. Yes. Not at Ray Borg. No. Yeah. I don't think that, I don't think that I'm sure that Ray was very appreciative. I mean, to, to, to give him the opportunity to, to raise a cup, but to have to do it in a different Jersey kind of hurt. It felt a little odd having a parade in Boston for the Stanley Cup that didn't 
get one here. Or it, even, yeah, competed for here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that felt a little weird, but I don't know. I just, I, there's something about the allure of, of spending your entire career loyal to one franchise. Eh, I mean, but, but you're right. I, on the he's flip side, already of it, played a thousand games. <laughs> That's more than twice the average NHL career. Okay. For that, for that team, a thousand regular season games, a hundred over a hundred postseason games. I think that once free agency came along, it pretty much did away with the loyalty to one organization or the the oh, ability to stay with one organization because now you got the chance to get paid. And, and through no fault the of their own. Too. I mean, it's not just the players. The teams have the option of signing people forever and keeping them forever. Um, but, no, yeah, do you think I— he- do you think he goes back and retires a duck? Do you think he'll leave? Where do you stand on this? For me, the, we can essentially write off all three California teams from even making the playoffs this year. I think so. Although four out of, four out of the eight teams in that West division, doesn't the math? No, I guess they could still finish five, you know, six, seven, and eight, I guess. Uh, <laughs> I would think, you know, statistics-wise, per- percentage-wise, odds-wise, the chances of one of the... No, they're just not that good. Okay. If he goes someplace else, I've and to West Coast. not a lot of teams have the room, have the cap room to add him, um, but if he goes someplace else... Uh, Let's pray it's not Tampa. Well, they clearly don't have the cap space. Um, (laughs) I I mean, Columbus could actually get him under their cap. And that absolutely shifts the balance in the league, in in the, in the, in the, what what is Columbus in in the the division? They're in the central. That takes them from possibly making it to certainly making it. Yeah. Uh, just just for the giggles, assuming Ryan Getzlaff lands there at full salary um, and has a reasonable year by his standards. Does he not suddenly become the uh, second line center, like, automatically? I don't know. Much. They've got – I mean, they've got Miku Koivu, so you could – I mean, talk about being strong up the middle. You'd have, but Getzlaff is still a much better offense. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I, I would, I would Miku put him Koivu. ahead of. I would certainly put him ahead of Miku Koivu as well. But you've got Pierre Luc Dubois who plays primarily center. He's listed at both a center and a left wing. But yeah, I've seen him play primarily center. Okay, just for the giggles. <sighs> just for the giggles. Yeah. Getzlaff at center on the first line with Pierre-Luc Dubois on his wing. Doesn't matter obscene. who the right winger is at that point. Obscene. <laughs> the word you're looking for becomes obscene. Even Getzlaff's no longer young age, the word becomes obscene. 
So you play him on the top line. You put Dubois on the left, and then what? Cam Atkinson on the right. Hey, if you want to go, if you want to get, a, if you want to have a rugged line, um, you put Josh Anderson next to them. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, Pierre Luc Dubois is not the most physical guy to play in the NHL. Oh, if only he, if only he were. I mean, at his size, what is he, six three or something like that? He 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 started to discover his physicality in the pretendoffs. He got he was minute. more physical in the in over the summer than I had seen him in the past. But oh, I Pierre forgot Le- Anderson's not there anymore. Oh wait, he went to Montreal. Still, um, so yeah, Atkinson. Not the biggest. Atkinson at right, the biggest guy, but doesn't need to be. Okay. Atkinson at right, Getzlaff at center, Pierre-Luc Dubois on the left wing. Uh, your second line, Dubinsky and Felino and Domi or Jenner, doesn't matter. Third line is Kiv- uh, Koivu, Bjorkstrand, and Nash. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got arguably the best top pairing in the NHL uh, in Jones and Wierenski. Yeah. That, and then uh, there's a goaltender that we might have mentioned once or twice. <laughs> uh, think last we did? Season. Maybe. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Has he uh, left, the, has he left the building yet? The shows. Has he, has he left the building? No, no, no. They want him to enter the building, but. Yeah. You know, that, that Elvis guy. Might have mentioned him once or twice. There's that, po- that possibility does in fact exist. Yeah, I think I think there was a possibility. I think the word Vesna was thrown in the conversation once or twice, too. Uh, absolutely. Now, now that we've run through everything there is to talk about, except for uh, pointing out that Ryan Miller has again signed... With the oh, Anaheim we forgot Ducks. about Ryan Miller. Yes, hold on, let me write that down. <laughs> Ryan Miller, who is 20 games away from his 800th NHL game, 800 NHL games as a goaltender. Ah, uh, wow. And he's back with Anaheim, so he's backing up Gibson again. Yep, but even even in this format, he could still hit that 20 game mark because again, we're talking 14 weeks of playoff pace. And, and, and we were actually talking about this last week with, with the announcement from Lundquist as to whether Miller would be, because at that point in time, he still hadn't signed whether he would be assigning or somebody that, that Washington could look at. Now Washington had cat has cap issues there. there in the gang of 10, but, would they or should they have considered looking at somebody like a Ryan Miller to come in and bolster Samsona at, at a million a year for a guy who's not going to be locker room drama? Yes. I thought they should have too. I mean, it's good that Anaheim hung on to him for the same exact reason. I mean, Chris Gibson is 
a really good goaltender and you don't want to see him abused the way, as we've discussed before, Cam Ward or, or, or Lundqvist, you yeah. know, 65, 70-plus games a season. And if you can send out a Ryan Miller who's still fully capable of, of throwing a shutout without, you know, batting an eyelash, that's not a bad pickup for Anaheim. And I think that it was something that Washington should have considered. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that they slipped on that. It's entirely possible that Miller basically just said, no, I'm either playing in Southern California or I'm not playing. Uh, we know that when he left Buffalo, he wanted to be on the West Coast because yeah. of his actress wife's career. Um, and he's now been out there. Uh, let's see, between Vancouver and. Anaheim six years. Uh, yeah. 14, 15 season. He landed out in, uh, in Vancouver. 40 years old, $1 million for next year. For, uh, and he appeared in how many games last? I mean, uh, he played 23 games out. last year, had a nine Oh seven save percentage behind a team that was, um, <laughs> questionable at best questionable <laughs> i said at best <laughs> i said i i clarified it and said at best <laughs> i mean questionable possibly compared to uh a certain detroit team but it, yeah no just no in fact his save percentage was uh, in fact better than john gibson's who had a, who turned into 904 in 51 games John Gibson had a lull in the in the middle of the season. I thought that he kind of he he seemed to be struggling a little bit. Uh, but yeah, you look at and he's been average. I mean, his three seasons with the Ducks, Ryan Miller, twenty eight games, twenty games, twenty three games. I mean, they're not overworking him, but it's just enough games where they're not overworking Gibson either. And I don't see. I don't see any issues with bringing him in. So good call there, Anaheim. Uh, so ladies and gentlemen, let us know, uh, even if it's just your division, who you think is making the playoffs this year. You can tweet us all 16 teams that you expect to make the playoffs. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to put together my list for at least two divisions for next week. Um, I'm sure Chris will get to, uh, the same and we'll compare notes. Uh, we'll have any updated trades and signings. Um, one of the, uh, tidbits buried in the Boston, uh, or in the Neely article was that Marshand appears to be ahead of schedule for recovery. Um, so he might, might take the ice earlier in the season than was expected. Um, the little ball of great, uh, will uh, probably have way more fun than he should in in a schedule where you're only facing uh, seven other teams. But uh, it should be fascinating to watch. Chris, anything else? No, we've covered quite a bit. Hope everybody had a great holiday uh, and happy new year, because by the time you hear from us again, we'll be in a new year. Yes, uh, as we shake the dust of 2020 from our uh, skates and uh, hockey bags, have a wonderful uh, rest of the year, a great start to the new year. 
Hockey is here in the form of the World Juniors and coming in the form of the NHL. Uh, Take care, folks.